0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziegler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. Now you have to be honest as we start, because it's not as fun if you're not, but where do you find yourself the most angry? What gets you to this point right here? And some are thinking, my husband does. He knows all my buttons and he presses them all. Some of you were making this face on the way to church, weren't you? Driving? Any road rage on the way to church? See, I have to watch myself because I like flashing my, my lights, especially when someone's camped out in the left lane, driving slow. Drives me nuts. And it's always a Prius for some reason, isn't it? Always a Prius in that left lane going slow. Or the roundabout. You, go, you guys go down like Wolf. You go to that, that big roundabout. Over there, And people always stop, and it's a yield sign. It drives me nuts. You just keep going unless somebody's coming, and then you yield to them. It's not a stop sign. There's just something about driving that kind of puts you on edge, isn't there? Like my wife. She has a lot more patience than me. But driving, she's a different woman. And it's, sometimes it's kind of hot, and sometimes it's just kind of scary. And she'll play this game. It's, it's her game, not my game. But she'll play this game called Guess the Gender, where she'll guess the gender of the driver. And so if somebody's driving bad and then we pass them, she'll look and go, oh, I knew it was a woman. It's like, what are you? It's like, a woman, but I know how to drive. <laughs> driving just, and that's her game, not mine. But driving just kind of puts you, what, what, what puts you here? Social media posts? There's that one person you follow and uh, they post the most illogical posts. that's so stupid and they're so passionate about their stupid posts and it just fires you up. Or maybe we'll put you here as a sibling because that sibling knows how to yank your chain and that's just all they do, yank your chain. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's watching sports. Like Chicago sports can be can be rough sometimes. they just kind to get you fired up. I was talking to some guy between the services and he's like, I, I, uh, my oven is dented because I was watching football and I just had to take my frustration out. Just like, gets just gets you there. I can get here. They're like, what? You're a pastor. Well, maybe not for long after telling you this story. Well, a while back, our fridge in our kitchen was acting up, and it's it's a fairly nice new fridge, and it would just, like, stop, and we'd wake up in the morning, and all the food would be bad, and we'd have to, like, throw out all the food, so we're talking, like, hundreds of dollars of just going in the garbage, all this food. Now, luckily, it's under warranty, so I'd call, you know, and then uh, wait on hold, and they'd be like, all right, we're going to send a serviceman they will be here between 8 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., so just be at the house during those 12 hours, you know, and and then they'd come kind of be like, oh, your fridge needs an update. And like, okay, no, it doesn't. Something's wrong with the fridge. And, and then it would happen again and it would stop working again. This happened eight times. Eight times of waking up in the morning and discovering the fridge is warm and eight times of throwing out the food and eight times of spending hundreds to refill it, eight times of sitting on hold and waiting for a repairman. And the eighth time, I'm ashamed to say it, the eighth time I discovered the warm fridge, I put my fist into the stainless steel door there are three little dents on the face of our fridge from my knuckles. It was stupid. It's embarrassing. Hey, tell me about this. And I can't hide it. Like, you know, someone comes over and, and, and they'll be like, oh, look at this. Look at this. It's like a dent in your fridge. And this happened like last week. And I was like, you know, really quiet. And then they wouldn't let it go. They're like, and there's like three little dents that make up a big dent. I was like, okay, Sherlock, why don't you head to the family room and we can just kind of hang out in there. Like, Every time I walk into my kitchen, that dent just stares at me, reminding me of when it got the best of me. I hate that dent. See, that's the thing with anger, isn't it? Often when we find ourselves here, we dent something. Oh yeah, you're not as dumb as me denting a fridge, but we dent relationships. We dent marriages. We dent kids. We dent our job. We dent our office. We dent our reputation. Like, I don't think I'm the only one in here with an embarrassing story, am I? But you said something, you typed something, you did something, it was anger-driven, or, or, or even worse, just as worse, you didn't blow up, you just held on to it. You internalized it all, and you let it infect these relationships, and it left a dent on something or someone somewhere. Recent studies show that we live in a very anger-driven society more so now than, than ever before, and if you really think about it, this face is all around us. It's, it's on our roads, it's in our marketplaces, like we turn on the news, and this is all we see. People just shouting over each other. We scroll social media and we, feel, we see rage-filled posts. TV shows today depict a lot more anger than if you were to watch a TV show from 50 years ago. Less anger on those TV shows. More anger today and just fictional TV shows because it's representative of where we're at. In many homes, there's raised voices that are the norm, uh, doors slamming, storming off, passive-aggressive comments, tantrums, walking on eggshells. It's the culture of the average home in America. Truth be told, some of us would be far more influential, far more peaceful, far more effective if we could just get this right. Like some of us are on the verge of losing our kids, them not returning home after they leave the home. Some of us are on the verge of losing relationships, of losing jobs, unless we really dig in deep and change. I think we need to talk about this, don't we? James chapter 1. Is over at James chapter one. It's page 10, 11, on the Bibles in the chairs. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use Psalms so tables. We have the bridge app, and on there we have Bibles and notes. But James chapter one, as I said, we're just going through James, and so it's good if we have the text actually in our hands. We just have really two verses that we're going to uh, pick. Uh, we're we're going to dive deep into today, James chapter one. Let me pray, and I'll jump right in. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for James. I thank you for the man that you molded him uh, into. He started out struggling, really, with seeing his older brother as God. But you molded him and you worked on him to the point where he saw Jesus for who he was. God became a, a pastor in Jerusalem and is, is writing all of these people, uh, many of whom have, have run from Jerusalem. And God, I ask that we receive your word right now with humility. As we'll see, James, right next week, what keeps us from applying your word or really growing closer to you is we struggle to receive your word with humility. We don't want to make that mistake today. And so, Father, as you convict us, as we read these words, may we not be so quick to excuse ourselves and to give ourselves passes, but may we be completely open books to what you have for us. We ask that you do a surgery on us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we enter into James chapter 1, the, the morning glow on the horizon spills into a, a limestone block home, slowly awakening a family from a deep sleep. It's a, it's a tired family. They've been tired ever since they've arrived here. See, months ago, they were living in Jerusalem and they were happy and they were active in this megachurch in Jerusalem, but then the pressure came. They were labeled Christian. The family business was boycotted. They received threats on the streets. The kids were having run-ins in school. And so they had to leave Jerusalem rather quickly. Nothing's been the same since. They've been blessed with this house, but it doesn't feel like home. They only own what they could carry out of Jerusalem. So they live in an empty house. The town that they're in is fine, but it's not what they had. The kids are struggling to make friends and the wife doesn't want to be here. She hurts for her kids who are struggling. It puts her on edge. She feels lonely and distant from community and she's depressed. The husband hasn't gotten his business back up and running so finances are tight and work is hard to find. His his wife's unhappiness really wears on him and the pressure and the stress has shortened his fuse. So the family dynamics are struggling. They never used to snap at each other. There used to be more smiles. There used to be better tones. Home used to be a lot more fun to be around. But now the husband and the wife, they just tend to bicker. She's not happy and he doesn't feel like he can provide. The kids' frustration periodically comes out in the house. It's a tense atmosphere. It's walking on on eggshells, and the kids have already decided when they leave, they aren't returning. This morning, they wake up in an awkward quietness, trying to stay out of each other's way to get dressed, eat a little meal, and, and walk in silence to church. As they walk into church, they find that the church has received a letter from their old pastor back in Jerusalem, James. And James writes this church this, He writes, know this, my beloved brothers, or siblings, let every person, now I'm glad we have pens and paper here, because literally what James writes, if you look at these in the original language, what he writes is take note. Let every person take note. So let every person, there's no exclusions. No no exclusions. And he writes this, because he knows when we get angry, me and you, and I see this all the time, the first words out of our mouths are justification for why we're allowing our anger to do this. Well, this happened, this, 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 and they, 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 deflecting responsibility for our anger. It's like a few weeks ago, we celebrated my daughter's, uh, my youngest daughter's birthday, and we had family over, and uh, Nicole has an identical twin sister, and then her twin sister has twin daughters, and then she has two daughters, Nicole has another sister, and then her mother-in-law. So there were 11 females in this house, and then me. And most of the females were five and under. And, And so something happened. It was like little girl drama, whatever. My youngest became irrationally angry. You ever been irrationally angry? Of course not. But one of her... One of her toys was, was broken. It's like one of her new gifts that she had gotten at the party. A cousin had broke it or whatever. And so she's crying and she raises her voice. And so I take her aside and I was like, Reese, this is not okay. This is not you. This is not how we act. And right away, the first words out of her mouth were, yeah, yeah but but it's my birthday and this happened. They, 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 they. We don't outgrow this. I've seen this happen over and over and over. It's the same thing with us adults. We get over the top angry, raise our voice. We have these biting words. We're denting everyone's view of ourselves, knowing that we're overreacting, but justifying it. I I confronted somebody about uh, an anger issue that just blew up, and I confronted them about this just a little bit ago. This is an adult who's been a Christian for for many, many years, and it was just, yeah, but they, 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 they. And James would say, no, stop. You don't get a pass for acting this way. Because when we give ourselves a pass, we continue the same behavior. And so right off the bat, James says, no passes, no exclusions. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how you were raised, there's no exclusions. We all must do this. Be quick to hear. Now, this word for hear here isn't just like hearing. It's, it's the Greek word akuo, which means to hear with intention. Your translation might say listen. I think it's a better translation because there's a difference, right, between hearing and listening. Like I hear my wife all the time. It doesn't mean I listen. I'm working on that. So there's a difference between hearing and listening. And this is what James is getting at. Our first action when we're angry is to use our ears. Because when that anger emotion hits you, and, and it will, your heart starts pounding, right? Blood pressure rises, your breathing increases, and your body, what's happening biologically is your body is literally preparing itself for a physical exertion. And that's God-given energy uh, for you to find a good solution, to aim it in finding a a good solution. So anger is not a bad thing. Like if my kid does something wrong, like pushes her sister or something as their father, anger is a good thing. Anger is an emotion that tells us to deal with something, but it's also an emotion that's very, very easy to sin with. Because everything in us wants to release all that energy through raising our voice or putting a fist into the fridge or throwing something. And James says, no. First thing, when you feel that anger, use your ears. Listen, now that's going to be the last thing you want to do, but it's the first thing you should do. Well, why? And we can read this verse and we can go, okay, well, maybe James is telling us you know, to be quick to listen you know, so that I can get the full story. And then once I get the full story, I'll be less angry. And then we'll have, a, you know, we'll have a better solution. Yeah, that can be true. But sometimes you get the full story and you're even more angry. Listening does far more than just getting the full story. Listening also does two other things. First, listening creates an environment of peace. Environments are a big deal. Offices like Google spend millions creating environments for their staff to work because uh, studies show that the, the environment, your environment that you're doing work in helps productivity and creativity in your work. So one of my buddies, he's a good buddy of mine uh, has an office downtown Chicago, and uh, he has a literal tree fort in his office. <laughs> so cool. Uh, one of his conference room table in his conference room has, instead of chairs at the table, has swings hanging from the ceiling. And it might sound like, okay, that's really weird. But this company just believes in being creative because they understand like environments are huge. It's the reason that every every evening I turn off all of the bright lights in our home and I turn on all the accent lamps. Like I just dim all the lights and I play some softer music before bedtime because it calms the freaking kids down before bed. And it works. Environments are huge. They set a mood. When my kids go to do homework at the table, I make sure the house is clean because if it's a mess, if if they're working in a mess, that's going to translate over into their work. Environments are a big deal. And so James is saying here, when you're angry, you have to set the environment. Things are going to be tense. People are going to feel awkward. They're going to feel uncomfortable. So set the environment. And you set the environment by listening. When you have an environment of peace, things are going to tend toward that way. It's like when I was a kid, I had a friend, which was very rare for me, but I had a friend. And, and I, I liked hanging out with him. It was a church friend. They're, his whole family went to church. They were nice people. They were church people. I hated going to their house though. It's very, very tense. Nobody ever really listened to each other. It's a lot of talking at each other. Like even if they weren't even angry, it was just like they were talking to each other with a tone talking over each other. Lots of raised voices. If, it was, if there was some little thing in the, in the house, little problem, it was like this big deal. And it was like the loudest voice one. And I hated going to their house. It was just tense. And it put me on edge. It was awful. I like going to my house. My parents were actually more strict than my friend's parents. Like I'd go to my friend's house and we could watch and play whatever we wanted to. Like literally no rules. Not at mine. My house was more strict, but my house didn't have yelling. There were, there were rules and they were strict, but they were listening and there was kind talking, there was kindness, and there was healthy tones, and there was this environment of peace. What kind of environment do you create? Everybody creates environments. What kind of environment do you create? Because you create an environment. Especially when you're angry, you create an environment. So what environment do you create when you're angry? James says, start with listening. It creates this environment of peace, but it also provides space for you to center yourself. Because here's the thing is, when you get angry, you're rattled, right? Anger does a lot of things. Physically, and if you look at like the science of it, your brain when it gets angry, your um, your brain channels blood flow to the muscles. Um, that affects your eyesight. This is why sometimes people say I get so angry I can't even see straight. There, there is a little bit of like science to that. It affects your eyesight and it affects your normal uh, thought process. It's, it's actually interrupted. Now that's not an excuse to do whatever you want. It's just reality. When you get angry, that's what happens. Listening gives you a space to gather yourself and get your bearings. Now, you're not listening to like load ammo up the whole time. Just go, I'm just waiting for you to stop talking. I'm going to fire away. No, you're listening to understand and you're allowing yourself space to, to be centered Everything in you wants to cut them with words and raise your voice and big gestures and show them just how emotional you are. Listen, take the space. Now you can talk with a better tone than you probably could have two minutes ago because you've taken that time. James is so good, isn't he? He says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now, if James were writing today, he might add, be quick to read and slow to post. Be quick to close the app and slow to comment. Someone once said that you have two ears and one mouth, and I'm confident there is a significance to that ratio, that you and I should do twice as much listening as we do talking. The one with the most words doesn't win, okay? And the one with the loudest voice doesn't win. Those are often the losers. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then he says this, slow to anger. Okay, well, that's a bit easier said than done, James. Now, by the way, he doesn't just mean temper. A lot of times, Christians, we like to grade anger. Like say, okay, the person who blows up is like way worse than the person who just internalizes everything. No, that's just as worse. People who quietly hold on to it, they're, they're just as angry of a person. It's like the couple who came in, um, for counseling, and the wife, you know, says that the husband has an anger problem because he just blows up. And, and yeah, that's definitely an anger problem. You can't do that. And she said, well, I don't blow up. I just give the silent treatment. Okay, well, that's not any better, okay? That, that's still an anger problem. And truth be told, a lot of us really do struggle with this. Whether it's like blowing up or, or clamming up, and it's plagued our life. Some of our marriages are seriously dented because of how we handle our anger. They're intact, but they're dented because we can't do this. Some of us struggle with friendships, Some of us struggle with working relationships because we've dented too many people. And we have every excuse for every situation, right? You know, they did this and they did that. But at the end of the day, the reality is we don't have a good track record when it comes to our anger. This is a serious problem for many of us. And so we can read this verse and part of us thinks like, I know, James, it's what I want. Slow to anger, it's what I want to do. It's just really hard in the moment. And James will say, okay, calm down, don't get angry. This is really hard to read and understand what he's talking about, right? And we, we kind of wonder, okay, what do you mean by this? Slow to anger, how do we do that? Well, the first part of the verse is he kind of sets it up, right? Just like, listen and shut up, okay, that helps. But I think the reason that he doesn't give us a lot more is because he knows that we're all different. Some of us, when we get angry, blow up. Some of us, we just clam up and internalize everything. Some of us, we're just irrational when we're angry, so we need to step away. For others of us, we can't step away because if we step away, we'll just clam up and we'll be bitter and we'll just kind of run from the conflict, We're all very different. And so James isn't going to give us some recipe because he knows what works for you may work different for me. But we should all care enough to get to know our anger and how to slow it down. To get to know ourselves, to be able to discipline ourselves. It's the idea of bridling yourself. And that's point number two, is he's saying bridle your emotion. bridle your emotion. Slow to anger. I've learned to bridle this. Now, again, people might disagree with me, but anger isn't a sin. Now, we can do a lot of bad things with it, but it's not bad, it's an emotion. It's not good or bad. And sometimes I'll hear overly spiritual people say things to me like, well, I never get angry, Junior. And I think, well, I'm just angry that you don't get angry. Because look around you. Look around this broken world. You can't tell me that you can read the statistics of human trafficking and not get angry about that. I think that, that periodic bridled anger is healthy in parenting. There were times I needed to see my dad angry when I was little. They could put the fear of God in me. That was a good thing. I do the same with my kids. If they talk back to their mother, hey, they're gonna see dad angry. That's, that's my wife you're talking to. They should see a little bridled emotion in me. Like if you wanna lead something, you gotta have some fire, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be bridled. Jesus had bridled healthy anger when he overturned tables in the, in the temple, right? The guy made a whip for heaven's sake. Jesus was livid, but it was bridled. This is why scripture says, be angry and do not sin. Anger is an emotion. You're gonna feel it. And it's very easy to do bad things with it, like dent the fridge, but you should bridle it. Slow to anger. It's like putting a bridle in a horse's mouth. A couple, in a couple of weeks, Nicole and I, we're gonna take our girls down to Kentucky to do some uh, horseback riding. There's this really cool, uh, found this really cool spot. There's a cabin inside this like horse pen and we stay in this cabin. And so the horses like come up to our porch in, in our windows it's a bit sketchy and really run down, but it's like, all right, it's Kentucky. you know. So you just you kind of go with it, Went in Rome. And the girls love it. And so we wake up in the morning and we'll, we'll ride horses through like the, the streams and, and through, through the hills. And each girl has their, their own horse. And, and they love this. We've done this before. And so they have like a picture of the horse that they always choose when we go down. It's like their horse. It's not their horse, but they just like to say it is. And they always get a talk beforehand. As we're saddling up, we'll always have the same talk. It's, hey, you're little, okay? And this horse is really big. It can run. It can trample. It can buck. It can kick. There's a lot of power. The bridle is the horse. Is, is your friend. Okay. The, the bridle helps you slow the power, steer it, and direct, direct it. The bridle is the power over the powerful horse. Without it, the horse can. The horse would kill my kids, or trample me. And this is exactly what what, what James is, is saying here. Anger is an emotion that humans will feel, and it's very powerful. You can do great things with it. But it can also be very, very bad. Bridle it. Slow it down. Slow it down so that you can direct it properly. Now, how do we do that? Well, it might look a little different depending on you know our different personalities and our different situations. But I do have a list of of helps, ways to bridle your anger. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's just a start for your journey to to help you figure out what works best for you. And these are, what I'm gonna give you here, these are universal, okay? So it doesn't matter your personality or your situation. These are just biblical principles to bridle your anger. My goodness, these could give you a new marriage. These could give you a new business. These could up your leadership and I'm giving them to you for free. (laughs) Ways to do this is stay on point, stay on point. Here's the tendency to do it when we're angry This is so common, especially when we get into a heated discussion is we're gonna start bringing up everything, anything and everything that they do. And this helps us win. Okay, well, you did this and that and that and then last year, this happened. I call this the weeds. Like last weekend, I was uh, was on a boat, we were fishing and uh, the wind blew me into the weeds. And I couldn't get out. Like The weeds were all wrapped around like, the boat, and it was overwhelming. So now, not only am I fighting the wind, but I'm also fighting all of these weeds. This is what happens a lot of times when we get angry. We overwhelm the situation with all of these other topics, these weeds that are going to keep us from making progress. Bridle that. Stay focused. Stay in point. The issue isn't that they said that last year. Okay. Now, you could talk about that another time, but right now we're going to handle what the topic is, that they relate. So let's just keep that the issue the more you allow your anger to take you into the weeds, the more overwhelming that it feels, especially to the other person. Now you're not getting anywhere. Now you're just piling on and nothing is is getting solved. That's anger and it's unbridled and it's damaging. So stay on point. This is what God does with us, isn't it? Like God doesn't come at us with this list of everything that we do. God convicts us as things arise. And for that, I'm thankful because my list would be long. Second, attack the problem, not the person. And maybe you've heard this before, but this bears repeating. When our anger arises, often what we want is we want that person to pay even more than the problem being solved. And that's a really bad thing. Attack the problem, not the person. You always, this is just you, 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 You're going to make the person defensive or scared or angry right back at you, and now nothing is getting solved. Go for the problem. Keep your attention and frustration focused on the problem. I'm not going to go after the person. That's bridled anger. When Jesus went into the temple and he overturned the tables, he had a whip. He didn't berate people's personalities. He only spoke of the problem. Uh, Third way to bridle your anger is to control your volume and tone. Now, this might seem obvious, but we, we got to talk about this for just a second. When there is anger and tension, everything is heightened because it's emotional. So without realizing it, you're talking in a way that you don't realize. And the person on the other end, they're very sensitive. Their sensitivity to that is also heightened. This is why um, you've heard people say, or maybe you're guilty of this, but you've heard people say like, I'm not yelling. Okay, well, you are. You just don't realize that you're talking with your emotion. And you have a lot of emotion right now. So you have to be very careful with all of that energy. But also, the person who's listening to you, their sensitivity to that is also heightened. It's like, um, you ever try to walk through the house without making a sound? The floors creak a lot more, right? Like It was like the other night, I, I was out with some guys and I got home um, after Nicole already fell asleep and I didn't want to wake her up, so like I'm, I'm slowly walking through the house and the floors, I swear they creak a lot more and a lot louder than they do during the day. That's well, not necessarily true, right? They creak during the day just as loud, but I'm not as sensitive to that. I'm just more sensitive to that because I want, it to be, I want it to be quieter. Same thing happens in a very difficult discussion. If a conversation is getting tense with a coworker, their sensitivity to your tone and volume is also heightened. It's the same thing that's happening with them. And so in that moment, you have to be far more careful than you normally would be if you were just out having fun. And it's not on them. Hey, you're just being sensitive. to how I'm talking right now. Okay, stop. It's on you. you you've got to learn to bridle here. Let's see, a lot of people should not be bosses because they don't get this. Every little issue sounds like a really big issue to them. And they create these very tense atmospheres without realizing it because they're not taking this seriously enough. This is many, many homes. These are homes that kids don't wanna return to. So bridle your volume and your tone and control it. When you can do that, suddenly you're leading in the discussion because they may raise their voice and tone, but you're, you're, you're the leader you're keeping things in a productive lane, you're staying out of the weeds, you're being kind and gracious, but clear and direct. And someone who can do that and stay there is somebody worth following, that's somebody who's leading the discussion. Uh, fourth is start with questions. Start with questions. James says to listen, so consciously put yourself in that position by asking questions. And good questions, okay? Not, not accusatory questions like, why are you such an idiot? No, uh, no, like we're, sincere questions, okay? Questions not only help you create an environment, but it gets you off and it gets you off to a good start. But questions, and I really believe this: questions probe the conscience. Questions probe the conscience. This is why Jesus asks questions constantly. It just probes your conscience. Questions are the kindest, most efficient route to a confession. We get this from God. I mean, you go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, and they go hide, and then God comes looking for them. You know, and in that moment, you got to understand, like God knew He's going to pay for that sin on the cross. Did God come into the garden, guns blazing? No, I mean, he had every right to. He could have, but he didn't though. What'd did he do? He's just asking questions. Where are you? Oh, come on. God knew where they were. But it's the kindest way to start the discussion and invite a confession. God asks him, why are you wearing man-made clothes? God knew exactly why. God does this with Cain. Hey, where's your brother? God knew Abel was murdered. But this is how he's starting the conversation. God does this with Job. What, what are you talking about right now? Just asking questions. Questions position you to listen and probe the conscience. Questions help you bridle your emotion. Uh, One more. Another way to slow your anger is to think the best. Think the best. When we're angry, we spiral into thinking the worst. Or is that just me? Just judging motives. I bet they did this because of that. They're trying to get this point across. And And now we're just getting ourselves all worked up even more. Thinking the best slows you down. Uh, this summer, something happened up at, at camp, and uh, yeah, it wasn't like huge, but like, it was an issue that was brought to my attention by another staff, and I was angry at someone, and for good, for good reason. I should have been angry at this person. Um, but my thinking first went to judging their motives, and I was on my way to go have a conversation with them, and it was going to be a very rough conversation until the Holy Spirit nudged me, and, uh, and I didn't feel right going into the discussion. It was an issue that could have waited, so I told them, I said, let's schedule the meeting for the next morning. And I spent that evening just thinking good thoughts about them and true thoughts. Just thinking like, all right, well, they're a sincere person and they do love Jesus and they want what's best and they are a servant. Like all of these thoughts slowed me down. Now, hours ago, I was ready to go in guns blazing. Ironically enough, because, ironically enough they were about, because they had lost their temper on somebody else. And so I was gonna go repeat their issue. I'll give them a taste of their own medicine. But this right here helped me slow down bridle my anger to be more productive in the conversation. I do this when I get upset with, with my wife, you know, get upset, just want to go off, but just thinking, like, okay, she does a lot. And I think she's still wrong and we still need to talk, but like she does so much for us and she has such a good heart and she does so much for me. Like many marriages would be significantly better if we could just really get this right. Many churches, many families, many staff easy fixes sometimes. Let's just start thinking the best. I can't tell you how many times people come in to talk about marriage stuff, and it's just like, gosh, if we just did this, 85% of the issues would would be gone. Like, if you would just start believing the best, but you believe the worst about each other, so everything is like this big, constant war. Believe the best slows your anger. So James writes, he writes, "'Know this, my beloved brothers,' Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then verse 20 is often a, a verse that we just kind of read over, but it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And this is, this is a great verse. Again, often read over, but what James is doing here is he's casting vision. At the end of the day, if you are a true follower of Jesus, God is working on you. You're getting better. You're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It's the process of sanctification. You're becoming more and more mature in the faith. God wants you to be more like Jesus, somebody that people are drawn to, someone who speaks life, someone who's, who's blessed and a blessing to be around. God wants to mold you into that person that other people look at and think like, ah, I wanna be just like them. And what James is saying here is he's saying, unbridled anger is going to keep you from all of that. You will lose your influence, you will lose your kids, you will lose your relationship. You won't be a blessing to be around, but a curse to be around. People won't want to be around you. Your anger does not produce the righteousness that God wants to work in you. Maybe it's time to take this seriously. For some of us, maybe it's time to repent, to put in some serious conscious effort when it comes to this. Because what's stopping many of us, and maybe we haven't realized this, but what's stopping many of us from better, a better relationship with God, this vibrant, fresh relationship with God, the kind when we wake up every morning ready to experience a new day with God, what we're missing a lot of us is that, that anger that we haven't repented of. Like, let's just straight for a second. There are those instances, and maybe they're like mine, that are just embarrassing, and you don't want to think about them. But there are those instances where we sin with our anger. We blow up or we hold on to something and just let it infect other people. We say something and we write something and we just constantly give a cold shoulder and they know exactly why you're giving them a cold shoulder, but just all unspoken. And then there are those times where you sit in a sermon and you read a verse, you read a book and you you feel that that, that conviction, like, ah. So, you, so then you just start acting overly nice to them. Well, I'm just gonna be super nice to them now. Or or I'll give them something. No, stop. That that is so toxic. So many people are caught in that loop. Blow up or hold on to this anger, but ah, I kind of feel bad, so now I'm just going to be super, super nice. That is so toxic. This needs confession and repentance. This needs a moment of swallowing your pride, nailing that sin to the cross, and vocally confessing and repenting. Because without that, we're just going to keep repeating the same behavior over and over and over. This is why James, and we'll get to this later, but this is why James writes in his book, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Not just go confess to guys. No, confess your sins to one another. You blow up on someone, you've got to go apologize to them. And maybe it's been a couple of years, but that's where the healing comes from. You've I been mean, holding on to that anger and giving the cold shoulder, you need to go and apologize to them. Well, that's really serious. Serious issues require serious effort. For some of us, it's time to stop just feeling that conviction and doing nothing with it. It's time to start repenting, confessing, and opening ourselves, positioning ourselves for that blessing from God. I still hate my stupid fridge. To be fair, I attack the problem, the fridge, not the person, the repairman who can't figure it out. I hate that fridge. Even more, though, I, I hate that dent. It's just like the reminder it is. I can't wait till we get a new fridge. And, and knowing how God works with me, it's gonna be like two decades now. That, that fridge is gonna last forever. <laughs> but even like this morning, you know, seeing it there, I hate it when my wife walks by it. I hate it when my kids walk by it. It's just like this reminder right there of my idiocy. And after it happened, you know, I pretended to Nicole like I didn't just bruise my hand. And then to be honest, it it was my pride that hurt the most. And it still does. I hate talking about it. But after it happened, especially because I couldn't hide it, you know, I I sat my kids down and I apologized. Do you see that dent over there? Dad is not often the dad that he wants to be i i shouldn't have unbridled my anger on the fridge i really messed that up and and i don't want to be that man and even more so i don't i don't want to be that example for you guys Just a lot of pride to swallow in that moment because i don't i don't want to be that guy and i know you don't either And you might be thinking, oh, I'm not dumb enough to put my fist into a fridge, Junior. Touche. I I am that dumb, but but I'm also not dumb enough to think that I'm the only person that has some work to do on this. Some of us came in here with anger-riddled hearts. And and we struggle to feel excitement for God. We struggle to get into God's Word. We struggle to worship. We really struggle spiritually, and sometimes we wonder why. It's that angered, riddled heart that you're just carrying around. Some of us have angered, riddled homes. You go home and just raise voices and there's silent treatments and there's harsh tones. And Some of us would go to work and it's just terrible bosses. Losing it on people, harsh and short-wicked. Some of us have been holding on to anger for years. It's anger with that friend, anger with that old coworker, anger with that family member. And they might not even know. They just think you're distant or you're cold now, but you've been just carrying this anger with you. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm the only one. Am I? Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.